This is Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division. The reason racism still exists in this country is because people will stand up and say this is wrong. And eventually they get so worn down and tired of trying to change the system that they stop trying Mm -hmm. and the advocates stop trying. And we can't stop this time. We, this is the time to really make a change. So um, I, I want to continue to work on that at the county level in any way that I can. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. This is Evelyn Lopez. Today on Crossing Division, I am really delighted to have Jenny Hitchens, who is a new Pierce County Council member and new to politics. So, uh, Jenny, thank you so much for joining us. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Yeah, great. Uh, Well, first off, thank you for having me. I've been uh, listening to uh, Crossing Division and podcasts on uh, 253 for a couple of months now and uh, just really excited when I got the invitation. Um, for those of you that don't know me, which is probably quite a few of you since, like she said, I am new to politics. Um, I was this time last year teaching uh, high school science and uh, deciding to run for office and trying to figure out how to do that. And then COVID hit and I had to learn how to teach online and had how to campaign online and then proceeded to win my election for the sixth county council seat, which includes DuPont, Stillicum, Anderson, Ketron Islands, um, Lakewood, JBLM, and a tiny little chunk of Parkland, which is where I lived, and a chunk of Tacoma, not a very big chunk of Tacoma. So, um, and I've lived in Pierce County for almost 30 years and uh, been in Parkland since I moved here to go to college. Great. Well, tell me sort of your first impressions. Um, Being in county government is different, I think, from what you've done before. But what have you found that's different? And what have you found that's kind of not that different? Like, oh, this is sort of like working with this experience. So the biggest thing is... um, I come from public education where you work in teams and communicate in teams, um, sometimes behind closed doors, sometimes with the public there or the students there. Um, but it's, it's always a dialogue of multiple leaders at the same time. And with the rules for open public meetings, that was kind of eye-opening. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around how I do that collaborative process when the reality is you have to watch everything you say um, just because the context of pieces of information can be blown out of proportion. Um, It makes you hesitant to to take risks or try new things just because there can be so much blowback, especially in the new world of social media. Well, newer world of social media. It's been around for a while now. Um, And the idea that um, it's so out there and transparent, which is great. And I understand why, but then I find myself already starting to think, 
Ooh, should I say that? And I feel like that's going to hamper the ability to problem solve because that's what I thrived on and enjoyed doing in public ed. So I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how do I take that type of work and make it work within the rules um, and continue to do the work that I was doing so effectively in, in schools and in unions and uh, in communities. Mm -hmm. Well, I, you know, I'm really glad you brought that up because I think this is a very, um, I would say, and I wouldn't say commonplace, but I would say, I think this is a very serious concern that a lot of our elected officials, especially in the Tacoma area feel and and I tend to feel that it, it's it's maybe being presented as more complicated than it should be, and that's because I've spent the last you know thirty eight years um, as a public attorney for the state. So and for our listeners too, the Open Public Meetings Act requires that governing bodies like a county council or a city council hold all of their meetings and their decision making in public, and. That means, and with notice and an opportunity for the public to come and, and make comment and participate in their democracy, which is really important and good. Um, the tricky bits are this. You can, um, you can sort of accidentally have a meeting if you're not careful. So for example, if you got an email to the, let's say I sent an email to the county council and I said, you know, I'm really concerned about something that happened in, in Tacoma recently. If someone receiving that email does a reply all to the entire group and says, yeah, we really should discuss this. I've been concerned too. And I'm hearing from a lot of different people and someone else replies all suddenly you're having a meeting, you know, with all of those people, even though it doesn't feel like it. And that's a violation because that needs to occur in public. So there's things that you have to do such as like, if you do have emails, remind everyone, please don't reply all. We don't want to have an inadvertent public meeting. Um, yep. And they're very good about doing that on all good. anything that comes across. Now, when the public replies all that doesn't happen, yes. um, but it, it's anytime within within the county council staff, they are very good about making sure that little reminder is there at the good. bottom and top even uh, often on those emails. But um, but even just when we're in the office. You know, four mm -hmm. of us go into the same area. If we were to start discussing things, that would be a meeting we didn't notice. We can't right. discuss anything. And the reality is we share space. So it's it it's those quick conversations in the hallway that we're so great at problem solving in, yeah. in for school that I literally can't do. And so it's, it's, it's trying to figure out how to do that. And, um, and so I'm, I'm still figuring it out. If anybody on the call has figured out exactly how to do that, let me know. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's hard. I mean, you can have, so you can have a meeting with one other person. You could uh -huh. you know, meet with one other person and say, this is something I'd really like to brainstorm with you. And then you could go meet with another person and say, Hey, I was just brainstorming with this person. I wanted to bring your, you know, what, what do you think about this? Yep. Um, which isn't like an intentional getting around it. That's really just so that you can have some of that um, open and honest dialogue. So there, you'll figure out how to do it, but it it is a um, it is something that you have to keep in mind. And I think, yep. that and then you add COVID to it, where we're not in the office, which makes it even a little yeah. bit more challenging. But it's okay. We we live and learn, and and the work is important. So yeah, we'll figure it out. I think it'll get easier. You know, when we get past COVID, and you can be in the office, then it's a lot easier to say to someone, you know, let's go. Can we go get coffee? Because I have a couple of things I want to discuss with you. And then you know, sort of it it 
it will become natural and you can talk about things. You just have to be mindful of, yeah, that, that group synergy of problem solving. You can't do it outside the public eye. Now you can do it in the public eye, but then uh-huh. that makes people kind of uncomfortable. Yep. But I, I do that, think there's got to be a way to do that. Yeah, um, I think I think one of the things that really brought it to light for me was the retreat that we had mm-hmm. um, a couple weeks ago. And um, again, in public ed, we do things like that all the time. If anybody actually watched it, I don't think a lot of people did, but if they did, um, you know, we had the posters on the wall with ideas and we're writing on sticky notes. It was, it was all the typical let's collaborate and work together. But at the same time, only one of us could speak at a time because we had to speak into the microphone. Yeah. Um, and we were called on and recognized because it was a meeting. So that natural give and flow conversation that has happens in the workplace, in the classroom, in a meeting, um, is stifled, I think is the best way to work, word it, um, where you just feel kind of, um, not that you can't say things, but it's just very slow. I think it's probably the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would say the other thing is, is that if you, you know, as time goes on and you have, um, you know, other people working with you, let's say council, uh, or staff members, they don't have the same prohibition, so they can, um, you know, do a lot of study work and information gathering for you that can be helpful. But yeah, it is. A, that is a difference. That's a big difference from what you'd be useful used to in the yeah. past. Um, what about the sort of the dynamics between the county executive and the county council? How has that been or how have you found that to be? It's still a learning process. I think for me coming in, um, I really engaged with the with the process prior to when the whole health department debacle went down. Right. Um, and um, because I was elected but not sworn in, um, there were lots of things that I was doing behind the scenes and, and just doing anything I could. Um, and so we've met with him a couple different times. Um, we had the opportunity to speak with him, um, just uh, council member Mello. Um, and I kind of before to talk about what our priorities were and, and what we were thinking. And um, I think one of the things that has happened is because of the shift in the council, because of the majority shift, um, he's trying to put things in place um, to to try and keep things as they have been. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and, I, and I think that, that those of us that are now in the majority are trying to figure out how do we work with that and how do we move things forward? Because he he still has the ability to veto. We would need five to overturn a veto. Um, and and we have four in the Democratic majority and, and three in the Republican minority. And there's some unknowns, there's some passions and energy um, that I think are different from some of our, our newly elected, even Republicans. And so um, the there's a lot of new blood on the county council, um, even, even our you know most senior person still has two years, the rest are two years and under. So it's a lot of new energy on the county council. And so um, the dynamic is, is interesting and we'll see. I think I think he's being called on things he hasn't been called on before. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, mentioning that there was a post or uh, a tweet recently that I saw regarding the appointment of a new, um, I think it's someone to be in charge of the county public works. 
And I had a question come up from someone about, you know, well, how does that work now? You know, is there any opportunity for the county council to um, be involved in that decision? Because I think this is a pretty important position and a lot of people don't seem to know who it is or, or what the process is. So from from what I've gathered, um, the process normally is that he he can appoint someone he can he can hire and fire. Mm-hmm. Um, but we confirm as the council. Um, and um, I think I would have liked to have had the opportunity to meet and speak with the person um, with a little bit more headway. But it seems like it's been uh, somewhat rushed right now. Um, they've arranged uh, in the next two weeks for every single council member to, to do a zoom meeting or teams meeting to, to speak with her and just learn about her background priorities and stuff. And, and the um, executive and and some of his staff have really been, you know, we really want this to happen so that when you confirm her um, that you, you have this, that you know her a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But as far as our role, um, I'm not sure how we would overturn that if it, unless it was like a majority, like probably even a super majority of us saying, no, we don't want that. Um, That's my understanding now. These are the kinds of things I'm still learning because this is a new one. I haven't confirmed anybody um, to the executive staff. We've done a couple boards um, and commissions, but uh, those have usually been, well, they've all been unanimous. Like, Mm -hmm. this is great. Somebody actually wants to do some, work with the community for the community. Let's get them on board, but this is a paid position. And so um, I, I want to know that she's going to do a good job for our, our county. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it would seem to me that in an ideal situation, you would want the the confirming members. So I'm thinking like um, at the federal level where the um, president's cabinet members have to go through an approval process in the Senate. Um, yeah, you would want to sort of have that introduction and opportunity to sort of vet any significant concerns before you're at that final moment. I think that would be more optimal, but I don't really have a sense. So I don't know in this in this case, is this also a COVID type issue? Is this just the preference of the executive that, you know, he he doesn't uh, work it like that or or is it that you know, he's trying to sort of solidify the areas of control that he has without regard to the council now that the majority has shifted. Yeah, um, and and I don't know a, a ton about her background other than also military, but Navy, mm-hmm. um, but a woman in mm-hmm. charge of planning and public works, if nothing else, I'm super excited right. to, to have uh, a woman in, in a role like that just because uh, it's, typically not. And right. so I, I think that's exciting. So that, that made me pleasantly surprised when it came across mm-hmm. my desk and I looked into her background a little. So. so that's good. That's good. Well, that'll be interesting to follow what happens next with that, with that. Um, but you mentioned the council retreat that you had recently. Tell me a little bit about that and how that helped shape your priorities. Um, so I think the, so we came up with five priorities of the council. Again, I talked about the the posters on the wall. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, there was a lot of posters, but there were five uh, that really stood out that were just, you know, themes. Um, and so um, two that I want to make sure are separate, but, um, you know, equal when we're talking about it, because I was pretty excited that both of them ended up there. One is housing, that we have not enough homes in our community for the number of people that live here. 
and separate, but just as important homelessness and that you can't use one to fix the other. So we can't just build more units and that fixes homelessness. So like we have to address these two different ways. They are linked, but they are going to take two different ways to, to really handle them. So I was super excited about that. Um, we also looked at um, equity, inclusion, diversity. Um, so looking back at the um, law and justice uh, work that had been started this summer and really we want to continue that work. Um, in addition, we know COVID recovery, but even before COVID, our economy and workforce needs some help. And then um, the last part is the environment and, and how it relates to growth. So there's there's they're all interconnected. Um, but to really call out those five priorities, when you look at the priorities of the county in the past, um, not that the priorities weren't important, but they're very different. Mm -hmm. And that's part of that shift in the dynamic of, of the majority and the, and the people that are there now. Mm -hmm. How were they different before? I don't think I was ever really um, that aware of what the priorities might have been. So um, probably the, the biggest one that comes to mind. So I think economy and workforce has, has shown up for a long time, but like the last time they did a retreat and we actually use this as a case study, a priority was abatement projects. Like how do we deal with the decrepit buildings and things? And that was a priority, like, and they had four priorities and I honestly don't remember what the other two were. I know one was economy, um, but it was the abatement of problems properties. And they came up with a dynamic program. They worked in partnership with the sheriff's department and the department and the health department, um, and really put some work behind it. That's great. But I, I just like, people are still houseless. Like, right. I, I want to do something about that. So, um, priorities have, I think shifted, um, across our community. And I think COVID really has, um, I've used this a couple of times. It's ripped the band-aids off of a ton of things that were not working, but were hidden. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we can absolutely see them now and see that they're bleeding, they're hemorrhaging, and we need to do something to help them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I'm really glad. I mean, I agree. I think um, the homelessness issue, houselessness issue um, is really um, a deep concern I mean, it, it, it's always been a concern, but I agree, maybe because of COVID, but seeing all of the people living in tents in Tacoma, it's, um, you know, it's a, a deep and serious problem. What kinds of things do you think the county will be looking at doing to help with that? So one of the things that I um, have started doing is, um, and part of it's cause I haven't, you know, done this before is I'm asking lots of questions. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I was in a meeting with, uh, one of our staff and, and they're like, nobody's ever asked that question before. Well, I'm asking, I'd like an answer. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I was trying to figure out how does the County support all the different siloed organizations? Mm -hmm they don't I mean they do in part and you can call our um, human services department like through 211 and get support but how do we communicate effectively between the partners and I think that is what I want to work on I want to work on how do we pull these siloed organizations across our community um, that are doing really really good work um, and how do we hold them up 
support them, and then extend what we're doing. Um, it is not the job of the city of Tacoma to solve the homelessness issue for Pierce County. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that um, because it is, and easier is kind of the wrong word, but it's the word that comes to mind, easier in downtown Tacoma because mm-hmm. of all the social services that are there, because of transit. But is that what's best for a family or an individual that becomes unhomed in Key Peninsula, or if you lose your housing and you're out in unincorporated Pierce County near Graham? Yeah. No, because you're, you possibly could be working for someone in Graham. You might have a church you're affiliated with Graham. You might have kids in school out in Graham. And if we move you to Tacoma, we have now taken any of your support systems a way that could have helped you. Mm -hmm. So now it is going to be two or three times harder for you to become um, housed because you weren't going to have access to a friend that could take your kid to, to a practice after school. So, so there's some sense of normalcy for the families and the individuals. And so I want to work on the, continuum of care. How do we as a county help support beyond Tacoma to really build programs that work on keeping people housed? And if they do become homeless, get them back into housing as quickly as possible. And um, we have some dynamic programs in our community and we have some really creative minds that are coming up with some fascinating things through um you know the um coalition and homelessness um the summits that i've attended now two of them and they have these you know i don't know if you're at either but they have these lists of ideas and demands of things that we could be doing uh the one that i found fascinating was like they they were like we want um jblm to design an emergency um, homeless shelter with the same capacity that they could set up a field, um, a field. Like if you go into the field, you can set up housing, toiletries, uh, eating space and all that. And they, they have that down because that's what the military does. Mm -hmm. We want you to tell us what do we need to do? How do we do this and come set it up for us in this emergency situation? And I was like, they're right there. JBLM is Mm -hmm. right there. They have the skills, they have the supplies. How cool would that be? Yeah. Um, so we have just some creative people. That's good. And I think that, that it's really gratifying to think of that type of uh, the crossover that could happen if the county is more actively involved. You have talked to, I talked to um, you know, someone from the city a couple of episodes ago, and it did seem that the, one of the missing pieces was really active engagement at the county level. Uh, and you're right. You know what ha- what what happens with all of the little groups is that they all have their areas of expertise. They all have their areas of funding, and sometimes it can be great because if you look at it like a toolbox and you've got certain groups for certain specific purposes, great. But it can also mean that they are siloed, as you say, engaged in turf wars where there's jealousies and you know competition between them. And I think a, a county organization can really help break through a lot of that. So yep. good. I would be very glad to. And you're right. I've always wondered why, you know, we couldn't set up something that looked like a like the type of refugee camp you see set up by the UN or by military with, you know, really good tents and showers and latrines and food areas. And yeah, that would be wonderful to see. 
uh, well, um, so related to that, that you said separate, which I think is really important. What about housing? So um, I live in Parkland, which is part of the Centers and Corridors plan. Um, and I don't know how familiar you or your um, listeners are, um, but essentially it, it's tied to the idea that we should be very intentional about having higher density housing near services. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, not building from, you know, Parkland to Mount Rainier, having, you know, strip malls and housing developments with huge lots that take up lots of resources and, um, and then not enough infrastructure. So schools, roads, um, and supports to go with that to those places. So you build close to where you have the infrastructure. That's the whole point. Um, and so I really believe that we need to look at the kind of housing that we have, and then we need to be working with, um, developers and, um, even doing some for-profit and not-for-profit partnerships um, as a county to really build denser housing in our areas um, that are still part of unincorporated Pierce County, but they're close to services. Uh, so using Parkland as an example, we have a lot of um, vacant lots where literally it's, you know, it's up for lease or up build to suit or whatever. And taking those spots and, you know, instead of putting um, a business or a single um, family home, do a mixed use where you have, you know, a business on the bottom and four or eight apartments up top with a little parking strip somewhere so that people can park somewhere, but not, you know, not a 40 person, you know, 40 room um, apartment complex where there wouldn't be parking and, and have it right you know, on a bus lane where there's a bike path, where hopefully the uh, the BRT, the stream, the new rapid transit will be going right down Pacific, where, you know, if you have a family or, or a couple living in an apartment, they can um, one, you know, have one car and the other person can drive um, and the other person gets on a bus or rides a bike or some blend. And we take fewer cars, uh, onto the roads, but we still increase the number of people living in Pierce County. Mm -hmm. And, but it takes planning and coordination, um, changes some, some thought processes, and it's going to take some pushing back on some of our organizations that really do want to do what's easy and profitable, which is to go out and build, um, big swaths of, you know, track housing and, um, on open plots of land, as opposed to trying to retrofit or make it work in smaller plots of land. But the end result is density near services is better for Pierce County. Mm -hmm. how, how do you, have you um, thought, I know this is sort of a, a, a work in progress and starting, but have you thought about what works better? I mean, I think you could, through zoning, um, prohibit certain types of building or allow other types of building, or you could do something like um, incentives of allowing um, maybe allowing tax breaks or other um, benefits if people do the desirable type of building. Um, so some of those things are, are actually already in place. The biggest thing that from 
my understanding is that there's not a lot of groups that think the tax break make it worth it. Yeah. So we need to look at those tax breaks and go, okay, how how do we make it worth it? Or do we need to come up with a different way of approaching this problem? And that's where I look at, you know, so for-profit companies coming in and building low-income housing at our lowest income level, you know, the 30% of AMI, 40%, there's no profit. So mm-hmm. let's let's stop trying to find that fix and let's look at our nonprofit organizations and how do we support and then how do we um, grow our economy enough with where we place our housing to support those programs. Uh, and um, and so I know that as a county, um, the the epitome of what, what the perfect housing authority, we look at what Tacoma's doing, how do we replicate something like that um, in our unincorporated areas and um, grow um, intentional planning ahead of housing? Um, and I know um, Council Member Mello is going to be on here. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to give you a, a make sure you talk to him about shape. Okay. Um, but the um, the idea behind that is really just taking regional. So cities and the county and talking about how do we um, leverage as a group planning ahead because we are thousands of units short, thousands of units. Um, And how do you build those? And then what kind do you need and, and where do we need them? And so that takes planning and forward thinking. And I think our County has not done a good enough job with that. So we need to be more intentional now because we're kind of building ourselves out of the ability to fix the problem. If that makes sense. It does make sense. Okay. Let's take a break here. And when we come back, let's talk about, you know, COVID related issues and and things that are planned. Hello, friends. This is Marguerite Martin, creator of MoveToTacoma.com and co-founder of Channel 253. It's bad out there, folks. Home prices in Pierce County are up 15% year over year. While it's no secret that the market is hot, you may not know that Tacoma has been the hottest housing market in the country for several years. There is an extreme shortage of homes for buyers to buy. Having a local Tacoma buyer's agent that specializes in the neighborhood and price range you're after can mean the difference between losing or winning the bid on your dream home. If you're looking to sell your current home and find something that meets your needs better, having a neighborhood expert handle your listing will impact how much money you net off of your sale. The right agent to market and sell a home on the West Slope might not be the same person who has the expertise and connections to find you an income generating duplex somewhere else. All agents have specialties, and I know the players for every niche. Best of all, it doesn't cost you anything. Great local agents are happy to pay me a finder's fee if you end up buying or selling, and you can rest easy knowing you're going to get a great agent who specializes in exactly what you're looking for. If you want to learn more, visit MoveToTacoma.com and use the contact form. Thanks for listening to Channel 253. Hi, we're back. Uh, Before we get back into discussing all things Pierce County, uh, let me say for those of you who have not yet become Channel 253 members, please give it some consideration. We are committed to running uh, podcasts that speak to local issues. And it's one of the few places where I think you can get in-depth discussion on things that are very Tacoma and Pierce County centric. 
Uh, it's a small operation um, and we can use your support. It is uh, $4 a month or $40 a year. And you can find how to sign up at channel253.com. All right, let's get back into talking about county council issues with COVID and with what I hope is sort of the end in sight. What are sort of the things that the county has going now and what do you see developing more, especially if that federal money starts rolling in? And I'm not sure where you want to start, um, Janie. Do you want to start with uh, talking about uh, current actions on vaccines or something else? Let, let's start current because okay. uh, that vaccine seemed to be on everybody's mind. Um, and then we'll go with what's coming next. Um, so we all know that everybody wants to get vaccinated right away. Mm -hmm. um, yesterday, actually. Uh, and, and so I think the biggest thing with vaccines is just it's supply and demand, and um, we don't have enough supply. We've done um, everything that we can to get the infrastructure set up to um, work with the health department. We uh, passed an emergency resolution to put $4 million into the health department's budget to get ready for mass vaccination sites. And um, but in addition to that, um, allow for, uh, we call, I think they were called drop zones where basically we have little targeted groups going out and going to, um, you know, apartment, uh, apartment complexes for 65 plus communities mm -hmm. and things. And, and they're all ready. They just don't have vaccine. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's the one thing we truly don't have control over. We are, we are at the, the graces of the federal government and then through them, the state government, and then it comes to us. So, um, yeah, so that's the, the big thing with the vaccines. Mm -hmm. How do you think Pierce County is doing as compared to other counties? I mean, my impression is, is that where, when we've had vaccines, and are doing a mass vaccination, it seems to be working pretty well. Yes, there's been a steep learning curve with the technology, um, uh, the how do you get it out to people? How do you, uh, market it is the wrong word because people are looking. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that uh, I'm an alternate on the uh, Tacoma Pierce County uh, health department board. And, um, one of the things they really wanted to make sure was, you know, how, how do we address the people that don't have internet? It's the same thing yes. schools went through. How do we address the people who can't get online and, and sign up? And then in addition, if you're talking about a target audience of 65 and older, do they have the skill set to actually do what we're asking them to do and now to do it really fast because mm -hmm. the appointments were filling up so fast? So um, there's two kind of pronged approaches to, to what our health department is doing with that. So first is um, they understand that people don't have access to Internet. And so what they're doing is... Um, a good example is yesterday at Pacific Lutheran University in my district, they held a uh, mass first time in the county walkthrough where you actually went in person, you got out of your car and walked in uh, in the snow 
to to get vaccinated, but it wasn't one of the ones that they advertised to everyone. What they did is they reached out to community organization organizations in Parkland um, and leaders in Parkland who are part of um, some of our highest need and least likely to access um, communities. And that was communities of color, our communities in poverty or at risk, um, and make sure they have a person reaching out and telling them what to do and scheduling them. They had um, iPads there with a real person on the other side that could translate into I forget the number, but they several dozens and dozens of languages. So whatever you needed, you could get translation to make sure you could communicate all the all the concerns and what to look for and what was happening. Um, and that's really important. The other part is for people who are struggling, if they have somebody who can reach out to the health department or they reach out via phone, um, they can create a kind of a connection to to access um, basically a phone, like a phone per a human being per mm-hmm. sorry, a human being on the other end of the phone will um, call and set things up okay. as opposed to you know trying to do it over over the internet on a smartphone, which may not they may not have access to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to say for most of the people that I know who have parents in their especially parents in their eighties or older, it's the kids who are doing the scheduling. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. with, with, I guess, you know, pretty good success, but if you don't happen to have, you know, um, a kid who can do that for you or someone close who can do that for you, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what happened. So I'm glad that they're thinking about that. Yeah. And it, and it's not perfect. I know that we've had a couple people reach out to our office frustrated and we've, we've, we've forwarded on, I'm like, Give me your phone number and I will send it on its way. And it's not a perfect system because again, we just don't have enough. Um, But the reality is the infrastructure is there as the doses show up, they're ready to go. You know, if if we randomly got an allotment of 50,000 doses, they already have the plan people and equipment to set it up and, and run a program within a week so that we could get that out. But we just literally don't have the supply. Well, Hopefully, I mean, hope the supply is supposed to up, it's supposed to increase. So maybe yep. that'll yep. help. Well, tell me yeah. what else, tell me what else you have planned um, that's sort of a COVID relief or COVID recovery type activity. Um, so I personally um, actually am going to be running a town hall um, in a couple weeks um, on the 27th from 9.30 to 10.30 with a focus on kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw it as a teacher how disengaged and frustrated youth were with online learning. I saw how frustrated parents were. I saw how frustrated teachers were. And we know this is this has harmed them. And and whether you're a two-year-old that hasn't learned social skills and don't don't know how to be around other kids um, to the the high school junior that was supposed to be taking automotive classes hands on. Mm-hmm. I want to hear what the problems are because I think we have some community organizations with enough time. We could plan some stuff over the next couple, like over the summer, mm-hmm. to really try and help support our youth in our community. Um, and so I've I've as a county council member being that I 
didn't know exactly how to do this job and nobody told me, no, that's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. I went ahead and set up and met with all three of the superintendents that represent districts in my um, area and just said, hey, what what needs are you hearing? What are the gaps that you predict are going to be there for kids when schools do get back to whatever the new normal is? Mm-hmm. And I would love to say that I believe in September schools are going to be open like normal, but I don't know that. Um, So how do we support, and it's not, the learning part is important, but the part that I think has taken the biggest hit is the social aspect and some of the, um, just thinking about high school sports, high school drama, um, kids learning how to play the cello or, um, you know, learning how to paint or draw, the little kids learning how to sit in a group and talk together, if they've been home for 12 months, they're going to need help. And um, I want to get some people together and hear what the needs are so that I can start pulling community groups together and um, getting things in place. And then if, if we do get funds, that foundation will have been started. The work will already be there and I can be there as a champion, you know, first one at the plate saying, Hey, this is what we're going to do for kids in Pierce County. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, as something that I, I really want to work on in our community, because I think, I think our kids are hurting. No, I don't think I know Mm -hmm. our kids are hurting. Um, and I know everybody's hurting, but I just, I want, I want someone at the County to start doing something about kids. Yeah, so. I think that makes sense. I mean, everybody is hurting, but I don't think kids have the, you know, they may not have the skills or or power. I mean, they're not really very powerful in their own right. So they may not have the abilities to deal with that the same way as adults we sort of expect will be able to manage. Well, in the places they would have been able to have the ability to speak up for themselves and, and ask for their needs was school. Yeah. And um whether your district is hybrid sort of, or um, doing a hundred percent online or some variation, um, 12 months is a long time to be in your bedroom on zoom on an iPad or however your, your school district did that. And um, so those, I'm going to call them soft skills, the social Mm -hmm. skills. Um, I, I personally, when I go any place and it's crowded, I had my heart rate goes up. I actually mm-hmm. noticed that the other day when I was at the mall. And so, and I'm an adult. So how about a fifth grader who mm-hmm. hasn't been in an auditorium in 12 months, hasn't been around a crowd of people they don't know, um, or the, you know, the little kid that doesn't know how to, to sit in a classroom because they've never done it before. Those are the kinds of things that I kind of want to start coming up with some ideas and plans. That, and I. I really believe that that is one of the key pieces that has been missing from county government is focusing on youth Mm -hmm. um, and really looking at our zero to five, because that's that I think is something the county should be helping with. Um, And then after high school, but that's kind of a different conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that sounds real. That does sound like an area of great need. That's good. Well, let me ask you one other question that I wanted to cover is, um, probably more in the social justice arena and in policing. Uh, and that is I, the question I had sort of teed up for myself was, do you have any concerns about policing actions that have been taking place 
over the last couple of years, including yes, many else. But and then I thought, well, that's kind of a dumb question. You know, who isn't concerned? But tell me a little bit about um, your thoughts on some of the policing issues that we're facing and where you think the county can maybe be effective in this uh, process of finding something better. Yeah, so great question. Um, I'm going to read something um, real quick. So we we had that law and justice report and um, in the opening um, in that report, it stated something and, and this is why I'm, I'm reading this. It says, we learned that African-Americans are arrested in Pierce County at a disproportionately higher rate. However, unless the data is desegregated by type of offense, it does not answer the question, why? We also learned that 90% of the criminal defendants are poor and according to federal guidelines eligible to public defense. This needs some attention and I plan to work on that. That is because we know there's disparities. We know that we are... um, stopping and arresting um, African-Americans disproportionately higher rates across our community and, and in, a spe- um, in a couple of areas, um, very specifically like Puyallup and, and, um, and Tacoma. But what are they being arrested for? What, what is the impetus for the stop or um, the questioning? And then how how do we how do we address that? Like, what are we doing as a community and as a as a culture in Pierce County that is creating um, the disparity? So something's not right because the numbers should be equal to the the population. If you have, and they're not, so there's something wrong. And um, we don't have enough information as a county council to draft policy if we don't know the why. So here's here's what I have said again and again. We've started the work. What has traditionally happened is you do a study and then the study goes on a shelf and you don't do anything with it. It's the committee that gets together and comes up with a grand plan, but then they mm-hmm. never implement. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to make sure absolutely does not happen. Um, we have institutional racism in our community in in every level and every organization, whether you're talking about the police department or schools um, or business. And until we grow as a community, um, as as a community understanding for those of us that are white, that we do have white privilege, we need to understand how do we leverage that to bring people up and to really truly create equity. And so I would love to see an anti-racist Pierce County. I I, like in my mind, I can kind of picture it. It's a little fuzzy, but what would that look like? Um, What would that mean if you are um, African-American or you're Latinx or you're LGBTQ? I I mean, no matter what what identifier you put on yourself or you're born with, what would it mean to live in an anti-racist Pierce County? And I think I think that would be a really cool place to live. And it's going to be um, something that takes a lot of work and energy. But the first step is now that we've identified there's a problem in policing, what do we do to address it? And what are the other areas that we didn't talk about with this report? And there are some because we didn't really look at 
I mean, something as simple as um, planning and public works and zoning. And, you know, have we looked at the numbers of, um, have we looked at our health disparities? I know the health department has done great work with their equity index in relation to health disparities. Okay, so what do we do with that data? What do we need to actually tackle? And so that's where that's where I am. I, mm-hmm. I want to just keep pushing. I think that's important, and and I agree with you. I mean, I think that there's a. Uh, I mean, I think there's some things that it is very difficult for government to solve, right? So I think that good people in government do believe that you know, let us study, let us come up with some ideas. And and now we've done a good job. Um, yeah. And it doesn't reach that piece of is this having Do an we? impact? You know, and, and then the feedback loop of what was the impact and was that the impact you intended? And now you need to tweak it so you can change it. That work just doesn't seem to happen a lot of the time. I mean, how do you and I and I ask this almost as a rhetorical question for myself too. How so one of the reasons why we have more African-Americans in the criminal justice system is because the police pull over more dark-skinned people when they're driving. If I'm right. driving with my tail light out, no one will probably pull me over. But if someone does pull me over, they'll pull me over to say, hey, ma'am, did you know you have a tail light out? Right. So, I mean, there's like yep. there's like a there's like that that intervention point that needs to happen in policing that's a very low down point. And I think for the police, I think a lot of times they're told your job is to find people who have warrants issued. Your job is to find people who may pose a future danger because of their past activity. And one of the ways you do that is you pull over people you think might be likely to have a warrant. And the way we work, that means they're likely to have past interactions with the system, which means they're more likely to be male and, you know, black or brown skin and it just just keeps cycling yeah what do you do um so I think one of the first things um and I'm going to put my teacher hat back on is that um we have we have a prison you know the the school to prison pipeline it's Mm -hmm. it, it it is a thing um and uh and it is a it is absolutely a, a horrid thing um but the reality is that we can make predictions about the future of kids based on things that happened in second grade and if that's the case <laughs> i i feel like there's so much that happens to a kid between second grade and high school that if we can't fix whatever happened or that outcome, there's something wrong. And yet our school systems don't have the ability to do it alone. And so that's where for for us as a county, we need to be in partnership with our schools. And so our schools that are really looking at how do they be anti-racist? How do they um, deal with the uh, school to prison pipeline? A perfect example is um, you know, 10 years ago, if you were walking down the halls, um, with sagging pants, you could get in trouble, then get detention. And then if you didn't show up for your detention, you could end up being suspended. Mm -hmm. Well, now the response that we are trying to work on is how do we get kids to, um, either change their, um, behavior and pull their pants up because that's, that's just, 
I don't know, a better look for them if that's what they're looking for. Or better yet, how do we interact with that student as the adults in the room um, and prioritize why, why does that, why do we care? Mm -hmm. What, what is offensive about that and bothersome and how does that impact learning? It doesn't. It was an arbitrary rule that um, led to an action that led to another action, which led to a suspension. Mm -hmm. And if we had been able to have that interaction with that student to address whatever was going on in a single quick conversation in the hallway, before we had dealt with it, then none of that would have happened. That the outcome of suspension would have never happened. But our schools didn't work that way. And they are starting to work on that. And we need it, there's some growing pains. Um, and especially when we ask um, education to really look at equity. Um, and, and it's, it's important and really hard work. Uh, I went to, um, we had a conference in the school district that I was at, and I was still growing in, in my understanding of, um, racism and my, um, own white privilege. And it was, eye-opening and shocking and the emotions that you go through when you start thinking about the actions and how you have been part of the problem, it's, it's hard. And that's the work that I want to kind of keep pushing. So I, this is a very long answer to your question, but basically if we want to change, the report can't go on the shelf. Yeah. We have to to keep doing the work. That's the key. And the reason racism still exists in this country is because people will stand up and say, this is wrong. And eventually they get so worn down and tired of trying to change the system that they stop trying mm -hmm. and the advocates stop trying. And I, I, we can't stop this time. We, this is the time to really make a change. So um, I, I want to continue to work on that at the county level in any way that I can. Well, that probably dovetails into my, um, one of my last questions, which was really, what are your particular interests? You know, what do you want to achieve, you know, in your, in your position here? Yeah. Um, so I think, I think one of the things that I really want to focus on is what I, I keep calling wraparound services. Um, and, and that involves our homeless, mentally ill, and our, and our youth. Um, and by youth, I, I really do want to say it's like before they're born. So helping parents be successful when they're learning how to be parents, um, helping with prenatal um, care and education, all the way to a 25-year-old. Um, cause they're still, in my opinion, youth, um, <clears throat> if you'd asked me that at 26, I would have laughed, but mm -hmm. yes, a 25 year old is still youth. Um, and how do we as a County support them? And we have so many gaps. Um, and again, I go back to that idea of siloed organizations that are out there that are trying to help, but we don't have the the infrastructure within the county to pull them together. So if you're having an issue in Puyallup versus having the same issue in, on Anderson Island that I, also, that I represent, or you're on the key peninsula, 
the resources you have access to and the how you get help, there isn't, there isn't a place. You can't call one number and figure all of that out 24 hours, like 24 hours a day. So a good example is we have 211 in our county, but it doesn't run 24 hours a day because it's being facilitated by a nonprofit and some volunteer organizations. So how could how could we have a system that really is designed to help facilitate those wraparound services, but only have it accessible from eight to four or nine to four and off for an hour in the middle of the day? Um, the likelihood of me experiencing domestic violence or experiencing um, thoughts of suicide or um, dealing with some sort of issue regarding my, my home stability or food insecurity, they don't care about a clock. So we need access to wraparound services um, in some way, shape, or form. And it and it shouldn't be 911. Um, and that's one of the issues that we have with policing is that we are asking our police to do all of those services plus some, and they're not trained for it or equipped for it. Um, and so if we could have access to those wraparound services um, and, and not not everything being fixable instantaneously, but just knowing someone's on the other end of the line and able to give you some hope to, to the next day um, or the next week or some sort of hope. And so that's one of the things that I really want to work on is those wraparound and that bringing together. How do we take these siloed organizations that are doing really good work in communities and bring them together? Um, second, housing. I just, we, we need more housing. Um, and we need it for all levels of income. And so I really do want to work on very intentionally with the environment in mind and community planning, um, getting getting housing into our communities that is accessible at lots of different entry levels, um, whether you're 30% of AMI or, you know, way above. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, um, and then I... I think those are my two big ones. And then the justice part of it, continuing to push on that and make sure that we are doing the actual work mm -hmm. that, that we take what the study has said and what actions do we need to take now? And then let's start looking at other areas. So I think those are kind of my three big ones. Good, good. Well, let me follow up on the justice thing too, because it occurred to me when we were talking that I tend to fall into this trap too of kind of intellectualizing you know, this is a problem I'd like to solve. How do I go about doing that? And the piece I think that I haven't said enough, and, and I think you agree, but I want you to have the chance to agree is when you do have an actor, a police officer or whomever who is engaging in harm activity, is hurting people, is causing harm, holding that person accountable for their behavior is a key part of fixing the system. Yes. Um, and in addition to that, being able to uh, catalog that behavior so that they're not transferred to another dis, you know, another entity. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, I've read a couple of the different pieces of legislation at the state level. I have concerns about, you know, little bits of each one. It's like, there's none of them sound perfect, but they, they seem like they're on the right track. Um, but the idea of having um, an accountability board that is separate, because I know with Manny Ellis, one of the biggest frustrations is the timeline of this. Right. This has been dragging on forever. The family is frustrated and hurting. The community is frustrated, hurting. And um, 
but we want to make sure that we do a very thorough job, that we make sure that justice is served, that we get the facts, but it's taking so long because we had to wait for this entity to get involved before this entity got involved. And, and it was like passing the buck initially. Mm-hmm. Um, as we learned more, it kept getting moved to someone else's hand. And so if we had a, an oversight committee or, a, or an organization that really did that, where there, if there was ever a conflict, it immediately went to that and the process started and there was like a deadline and a clock. Yeah. Um, I think that would really help um, because then people would know I'm going to get answers by such mm-hmm. and such date. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Well, the last thing I had, Jeannie, I just wanted to have, give you the opportunity. Sorry, that's that okay. was my dog, doggy. Dexter. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted you to have the opportunity to say if there's anything you haven't had a chance to say or talk about. I want you to have um, yeah, no, I, we have, we have covered quite a lot. Yeah. Um, I guess the biggest thing just, um, I want people to know that, that the, the energy level at the county level at the county council has changed. Um, and, um, and being that I didn't know how this job worked, um, you know, people are emailing me, Shh, Dexter. <laughs> Um, he was so good the whole podcast and then right at the end. Um, but that people have been emailing me and I'm like, you know, the same day emailing them back or, you know, within 24, 48 hours. And I know as a constituent that didn't happen for me in the past. Um, but I think that's really important in local government. Um, and, and I want people to know that, that we are listening. Um, I know that I am listening and I really feel like it is a we and, um, and that we have a lot of really good intentions and great ideas and are working hard. It's just slow. A lot has happened in Pierce County in the last 17 years. And, um, and so we are, we are working very intentionally and thoughtfully on on how we can do the most good in while we have the majority um hopefully we keep the majority and can you know move on and and not have such a time clock there um but we we are working hard and it just doesn't look like it because we haven't you know we haven't had a debacle like we had where hundreds of people showed up and called and testified but uh we're hoping not to have a debacle we want people to call and testify about um all kinds of great things and and you know advocate for things that we are excited for like housing and homelessness we want to try and solve those and and law and justice and equity work and just yeah that's that's what i'm excited about is just getting people engaged in in our local government That's great. Well, thank you for talking with me. Um, And I wish you the the best on this endeavor. And we'll follow up again with you, you know, maybe in a few months and see how things are going. Sounds wonderful. Thank you, Evelyn. Thanks, Janie. Did you know Channel 253 is member supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. 
Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.